This time on Poll Hub, we're heading to the swing states, Pennsylvania and Florida to be exact. We're digging into our new polls of each state that we've done with NBC News. And there's some really interesting details driving the horse race. We're going to discuss them. And as you know from listening, we've been podcasting from remote locations since March and also working our day jobs that way as well. While we're back on campus in a limited way, most of the Poll Hub's team still works from home most days. And we're not alone. We're going to be talking about some fascinating trend data, some of our favorite kinds, on remote working, starting back when it was called telecommuting. How great! So here's a promise before we get started. We are not phoning this in. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Marengoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And before we get started, this year has um, discombobulated a lot of things uh, and a lot of traditions. Um, and one of them is a very sad uh, tradition and one that we have great respect for, which is the uh, anniversary of 9-11, the attacks on the World Trade Center of the Pentagon. Uh, and we are releasing the podcast on this day. Um, of course, this year, things are very different in so many ways. And, and uh, so it's, it's going to be a different anniversary today on 9-11 than we have seen in the past, but we didn't want to let this uh, day go by without uh, remembering what happened on that day and honoring all of those who passed away. Yeah, and certainly a day that we all remember where we were. It's one of those days, unfortunately, that uh, sort of like is etched forever in our memories. And I think it is also, um, you know, a, a day and a time that we want to recall uh, those people, those first responders who did jump into the fray and, and help us through uh, yet another crisis. And some of whom are still, you know, paying the price for, you know, what they, what they did that day um, in terms of the, the illnesses, the, the trauma and the suffering. So, so we remember not only those who passed on that day uh, in the years that have uh, gone by, but are still uh, still suffering today. All of all of these people are in our in our thoughts. So, with that, let's talk about what happened this week in Florida and Pennsylvania. Polls. Well, it is. Um, you know, it is now post Labor Day. The uh, traditional send off. For the, uh, for the general campaign in a presidential year. So although we've been, we've been doing a lot of polling up until this point, I guess this is what we say we get down and dirty in the polling business. We, we change a little bit about uh, uh, who, who, we, who we talk about and focus a lot on the states that may be the critical ones um, come November uh, 4th. Uh, so, this week with our partners, NBC News, uh, we polled battleground states of Florida uh, and Pennsylvania. And certainly uh, those are two, two states that we're gonna have our eye on. I don't think this is gonna be the last time we're gonna, we're gonna be polling in, in those neighborhoods. So guys, what, what's the state of the race uh, in each of these states? Let me do the numbers. Lee, let uh, me just tell the numbers and then you go. So 48-48 Florida. Okay. Yep. That's high in Florida. When have we ever had that? and a nine-point lead for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania. Lee, go. Yeah, and I, 
Oh, can I correct, Barb? I believe it's November 3rd, although we may not know anything till November 4th. We'll be lucky, so, uh, we'll be lucky if we know it on November 4th, Lee. Maybe December okay, well, 4th. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, it's so funny because, uh, because November 4th is on my calendar because yeah. <laughs> election night is, is <laughs> over, but I, I do absolutely stand correctedly. Um, this is not fake news. It is November 3rd. Uh, however, however, one of the things we may know uh, to, um, to, you know, affect the calendar is if Florida, which now is as close as it could be, is callable on November 3rd for Joe Biden, that would be a strong indication of what might follow in the days to come when all the mail votes get counted and all the absentees and all that, because Florida is pretty much, for the Democrats, game over. Uh, for the Republicans, not so much. Trump needs to carry it. Uh, and then presumably we move on from there. 29 electoral votes at stake. I, I, I was so really- look, look, But hang on, but hang on. These are, these are really critical states. Yep. Um, so so there's, there is some stuff that's, that's going on under the, under the hood here in each of these states. Why don't you, why don't you just uh, talk a little bit about what's different about Florida uh, from Pennsylvania? Well, the Florida numbers reflect the fact that the demography of Florida has a lot more Latino voters in the state. And right now, uh, Joe Biden is not doing as well as Hillary Clinton did, or to put it differently, Donald Trump is doing better than he did four years ago with that critical group, particularly among, as we've seen, as we drilled down among Cuban Americans, uh, we're seeing numbers in the uh, Dade County, Miami area, uh, not that we want to, you know, get into, you know, precision on those things, but they are indicators. And we've seen that way back when Obama was running and how that moved uh, Cuban Americans his way. Well, right now they seem to be moving the other way uh, in terms of uh, moving to Donald Trump. Um, so Trump just, and just Donald Trump's campaign has right, spent so a lot of money there. Numbers on that. It's 50-46 right now among mm -hmm. Latino voters. But in 2016, according to the exit poll data, uh, Clinton won 62-35. So this isn't like a rounding error. This isn't small. This is a vast movement no. of Latino voters, at least from the exit polls in 2016, to what we're seeing right now. That's not just explained by, uh, there's no new Cubans that have moved in. In fact, the opposite. There was all no, this talk no. about the Puerto Ricans coming out of the hurricane and moving into the Orlando area, and that was going to really change the, the balance. What has happened? What's happened? Well, I think, look, the Trump campaign has gone very heavy in advertising, around $4 million in, in that area, mostly in Spanish. Um, and I think a lot of that has had to do with Joe Biden being, air, air quotes, a socialist. And that is something clearly that doesn't do well for people who either from Venezuelan background or Cuban. Uh, and the Biden campaign to a huge oversight has not matched that dollar for dollar. And I think in this case, the ads are showing a strong indication uh, or, or they're making a big impact. The other group though, <laughs> that's very much different in Florida than it's been in the past are people over 65. And here we see the opposite effect. We see that Joe Biden is doing better than might have been the case four years ago, Donald Trump not doing as well. Um, among so that el elder population. Right, that's 49. He's 49. Trump's 48. 2016 exit polls. Trump won that by 10 points, 54-44. So 
So yeah, seniors are moving to Biden, Latinos are moving to Trump. Is that where we get to a tie again? Is it a why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and although you don't work for WNBC at this point, I remember in, 20, in the year 2000. Don't say the went, word hanging Chad. Don't say it. No, you, you, went off, you went off to Florida and, and were seen only on the air for about three weeks, as I recall. Covering but, hanging chads, yeah. Yes, one, yes. one question I have, Barb, about, the, about Florida. There's been a, a lot of talk about this Latino thing in the last couple of days in polling circles and political circles, partly because of our poll and partly because of, of others. There's also a really interesting thing I ran across, um, an effort. Uh, there was a poll done by, I think, Univision, um, of young Latino voters, first-time Latino voters, showing this massive amount of enthusiasm. Do we accurately, and I don't mean we, but do polling organizations in general, especially good you know, ones that do the RDD method, do we accurately or, or do we do a good job of capturing uh, first-time like Latino voters? And I don't mean to single them out, but when you look at new data that just came out from the CDC about cell phone usage, Latinos are the highest cell phone only households by far of any group. And I'm just wondering if that coupled with the fact that young voters are harder to reach anyway, if maybe there's something there that we're not picking up. It's, it's very possible. And I think that um, you, have two, you have two issues here. One, you talk about enthusiasm. And I think what's very interesting this time around is that uh, we as pollsters and folks who are watching uh, this contest, uh, we need to pay, pay attention to both positive enthusiasm, uh, which translates into what's motivating Trump supporters to go to the polls, and also negative enthusiasm. There was a lot of you know, chatter about how um, Biden really doesn't match the positive enthusiasm that Trump does among his supporters. However, Biden certainly outpaces him in terms of negative enthusiasm. That is, people voting against Trump, um, not necessarily for Biden, but Biden ends up getting the check mark on their ballot. So enthusiasm is something that we have measured for a long time um, in polling. It's actually not really part of our likely voter model. It is a little bit um, in terms of people's interest of the race, but when uh, it comes to questions about enthusiasm overall, we don't generally um, include that because very often people are not enthusiastic about a candidate, but they are longtime voters. So they do show up at the polls and they will pull a lever uh, even if they are not particularly enthusiastic about the candidate whose name is under that. And, and but about these to, cell phone yeah. only young Latino mm -hmm. voters or, or young voters in general, it, it, I know that in the polling industry, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us. Totally. These folks. Uh, I, I mean, is it is it realistic to think that there's a possibility this is the version of the non-college educated whites that that we may not have captured, not us, but the polling industry may not have captured as accurately as we would have liked to at the state level. Is that a possibility here? Oh, absolutely. Because one of the, um, there are two pieces to this, you know, cell phone younger voter thing. Um, one is the fact that it's, it is very expensive to call cell phones. And so when you talk about the difficulty, some of it is technical, but a lot of it is also economic. It costs a lot of money to keep trying to um, attract uh, people and respondents uh, on, on cell phones because they have to be hand-dialed in the US. Um, and the other part of it is, is technology because you have the greatest amount of technology for cell phones to block calls 
that are not known. And it's not just a, a young people problem. That's Everybody problem. Anybody who is using a cell phone. So uh, we pollsters go to great lengths to make sure that we are registered as non-spam, to make sure that we are registered as uh, calls that should not be blocked. And most, uh, most cell phone providers uh, do allow us uh, to, to do that. Uh, but again, um, you know, there are, there are some polling tricks that we try to use, but absolutely young voters are the toughest uh, to get a representative sample in our, in our polls but they are also the voters who are most likely to say that they're going to vote, think that the election's on November 4th and not <laughs> November 3rd. Well, to, to your point, Barb, on, on enthusiasm, uh, one of the things we are seeing is that mobilization may matter more than persuasion because in both Florida and Pennsylvania, which we should talk about a little bit too, um, the uh, the persuadables are low. I think it was five and seven points, uh, if that was correct, I believe. Um, uh, in terms of the persuadables, yes, five and seven, five in Pennsylvania, seven in Florida, and that means that there's not a lot of convincing. Like at the debates, there's not going to be a lot of switching, but there may be mobilization, either positive or negative. But when we talk about Pennsylvania, we see that uh, Joe Biden is doing well there. And I guess one of the strong reasons for that is the, a little bit more comfort level uh, that people have uh, with the kid from Scranton. I don't know. What do you guys make of that? Well, Jay, what, you want to jump in here? Yeah. What strikes me about up by nine is that um, we've been here before. So our poll in October of, in 2016, you know, we had Hillary Clinton. Everybody did. This isn't us. Everybody had Hillary Clinton up. Now, lots of things changed in these states after October, but a lot of people have been pointing out that in, in a September poll where either candidate's up by 10 in a state like Pennsylvania, you know, talk to me in, in late October. So uh, one thing that I think we have seen is this has been consistent. And, what, and to Lee's point, there are not a lot of persuadable. I mean, in 2016, there were a lot more people who were a lot more persuadable, or at least indicated that. So I would say that to the people who are like, oh, well, you know, everybody had Hillary up by so many points in 2016. Yeah, well, it was a different race. And uh, we have, you know, recorded how that is different in the people who are persuadable. If you dig down into these numbers, there is, there's enthusiasm for Biden, there's enthusiasm for Trump. It's not a huge delta there. And there's just not many people who, you know, are willing to change their minds. So this, this one, I, you know, there's a reason the Trump campaign took down their advertising in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and, and, and we're watching closely, where do the candidates go? Because where they're going is telling a lot about what their internal polls are showing and also what their strategy is about. If you wanna know what the polls are showing for the campaigns, watch where the candidates are going. Well, one of the things I thought was interesting in Pennsylvania, and it, and it is a comparison to four years ago with Clinton, is the fact that Joe Biden, although slight, does have a higher favorable rating in that state than an unfavorable one. Mm -hmm. And I just point that out because um, these days, particularly when we're talking about the presidency, we, we haven't seen like positive, more positive feeling toward a candidate than negative in, in quite a while. And that was the case with Clinton and Trump in Pennsylvania last time. Although Clinton uh, was ahead early on, she had very high negatives. 
Um, people disliked Trump more, but you know, look, it was a it was a tough campaign, particularly in the past in the last month. So uh, again, those were people who really there were a lot of people who disliked both candidates then, and then were making a choice of the lesser of what they considered the two evil. So part of the reason why Biden um, is ahead in Pennsylvania is about half of uh, voters do have a positive impression of him and also of his vice presidential pick, uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris. And I know we, um, you know, you, you always uh, discount um, the vice presidential picks because in the end it is a choice between the, the two top, uh, the two folks at the top of the ticket. Um, but I think in this instance that it, that is interesting that both of them go into Pennsylvania still um, at this point um, with with positive ratings. Yeah, I'll, I'll say on before we leave these two states that there's one thing that I think is a, a big number uh, that we shouldn't uh, leave uh, without talking about, and that is I think I'm who, reading your mind. Who is better able to handle the economy? And in Florida, uh, Donald Trump has a 13 point edge over uh, Joe Biden. In Pennsylvania, it's a 10 point edge. And so that's something right now, the economy may not be number one on everybody's minds, but underneath all this, there's some sentiment for Donald Trump unless those numbers do change. But and right also now, I think what's interesting is that, you know, people have mentioned, well, what if the stock market tanks? What if unemployment continues to rise? But interestingly, I think uh, the more difficulty we have with the economy, and it may seem counterintuitive, the more people think that Donald Trump may be able to dig us out. Now, one of the things that, we, that Jay mentioned at the start uh, had to do with the fact that we are working remotely. And uh, as a lot of other Americans are, and Gallup Poll just came out with some uh, numbers that I thought were very interesting that we thought we uh, should share. And one of those is, not surprisingly, a lot more people are working remotely than ever before. And a lot of people who were previously working remotely are now working even more remotely than they were previously. So Gallup's I think I... been, yeah, Gallup's been asking his poll since back in 1995, at least, and, and called it telecommuting because that's what it was called, right? <laughs> you, there was no Zoom. You called in. it in. You called you, it in. You phoned it in, right? So in 1995, 9% uh, had ever telecommuted. This isn't, do you do it every day? Have you ever telecommuted? Uh, and that was by 2015, 37%. So about one in three Americans, a little more than one in three by 2015 have done that. It, it's 50%, it's 49%. So it's one in two have now done it uh, as of, of this August, which is not a big shock, I think. Uh, but do we think that that's gonna stay? I mean, that's one of my questions is, is this the new normal in some way? Or do we all figure out that working you know, together in place you know, where we can see each other and jump into each other's offices or desks or whatever is more effective, efficient, impactful, whatever. I, I, I'll say one thing on this. We, we see each other in person rarely right now. We have. Um, and what's happened as a result of all this? Well, because, yeah, we've been rotating. Even when we go into the office uh, with social distancing in New York, we do, uh, we do rotate who's in on, on a particular day. But, but I'll say to Jay's, to Jay's point in what you're saying, Barb, I mean, when I see you guys in person, it looks like I've sort of kept up 
and seen you before, even if it has been two or three months in some instances. And, and I, I'm thinking that from a business standpoint, there's a lot of savings that can be uh, you know, accrued by not having people at the workplace. Uh, and people can easily imagine what all those are, or in actually going to conferences far away, uh, which require added expenses when people are getting very used to doing what we're doing right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, look, the numbers are showing that 26% of the workforce say they're doing all uh, from home and, and, and I'll use your word telecommunicating, eight mostly. Um, and so there's some big numbers out there and it's not just everybody in the workforce at random. And I think we have to talk about that too. Uh, you know, people at, you know, with college educations uh, have computers at home, uh, have a, a type of job that allows them to work remotely. Um, are being able to keep that unemployment. If you're first responders or people who are in the service trades and a lot of other things of that sort, uh, you don't get that option. And that's why we're seeing the poverty numbers are going up and the loss of, of health insurance numbers are going up. So the pandemic is having a, uh, a distributive difference on the impact of lives and people. Right behind, seen, this is a white collar experience, right? It, Almost it, entirely. It really, it really is. And you know, it, it's actually reinforcing trends and numbers that we have seen over the last, you know, quite a few decades. Um, if we look at employment numbers and we look at college and non-college um, uh, employees, um, what we have found that as, um, you know, as we have gone over time from the 70s, you know, to the, through the, through the 2000s, um, the gap has actually grown wider uh, between people who have a college education and those who don't. And I think it, it provides a great insight into uh, some of the volatility that we have seen in our electoral and our political process, because the people um, who have had the most difficulty finding good paying jobs um, uh, without a college education are actually white men. And so we have seen that, that gap grow uh, quite considerably uh, over, over the last number of decades. And I think this, this issue of who can work from home and, couldn't, and who can't work from home uh, certainly has increased that gap and has really increased the disparity of people who have had uh, significant difficulty during this pandemic and have had to um, you know, get unemployment, were laid off, and had to struggle much more significantly um, than uh, some of us who have had the opportunity and the good fortune to have uh, jobs that, uh, that for better or worse were remote before, before the pandemic and kind of seamlessly transitioned uh, during, the, during the pandemic uh, as well. Sounds like a- So, I mean, this is not to say that um, if you don't have a college education, you can't uh, you know, be very successful and make a good living. Um, these are just the statistics. These are, these are the averages. And, um, and in that sense, um, this, is a, this, is, this has had a significant impact on, on how we, and how we work and, and who, who remains working. Yeah, it's a steeper, a steeper climb. It's a steeper climb. 
Well, that'll do it for this episode of uh, Poll Hub, which was done remotely. We didn't telecommute, we Zoom commuted or something like that. This is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff's our editor. Amelia Morell is our production assistant. No mention of Hudson today, sorry. Thanks to the Roper Center Archive. I'm gonna handle this one. At Cornell University for providing us with the ability to look back at survey questions and results over the decades. There, there's all your thanks. All okay, I'll say real quickly, we wanna welcome uh, Madeline Jones also, who is uh, who goes by name of Maddie also, and we can go either way on that. Um, but she is also uh, now a Newsfeed student who is uh, working with us. And, and in addition to Amelia, so you guys can Plug it out for uh, for writing tweets. Maddie's on. Maddie's assistant in training. Okay, but welcome welcome aboard. And I will warn you that sometimes I just ask questions and you have to go unmute and you know it comes out. I'm not gonna do that to you today. But anyway, uh, thanks for joining with us. And Barb, you want to take us home? Uh, sure. Speaking of questions, you know we love them. We love to ask them and we love to get them. So if you have any questions or comments. Uh, please reach out to us on social media. We're at Maris Poll on Twitter and uh, Maris Poll on Facebook and Instagram. You can pretty much find us uh, anywhere on any platform. Uh, and of course, if you want to learn more about polling and the things we talk about on Poll Hub, uh, check out the Maris Poll Academy. Maddie just did. Uh, she's uh, learning all about uh, polling. It's visual, it's engaging. Uh, and uh, you can do it by just uh, going to the website. And finally, if you like what you hear on Poll Hub, please leave us a review. Of course, we like the positive ones, but we always appreciate uh, your thoughts and feedback. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe. So thanks very much, be safe, and uh, we'll see you next time.